What up, Pooch? What up, what up? How's your week been? Uh, good, good. Still in Istanbul. Nice. Uh, internet still not perfect. Um, it's been pissing rain, however. Uh, so that wow. means there's been more than enough days kind of sitting inside, uh, eating good shishtawok and watching Downton Abbey. No spoilers, please. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. There hasn't been a lot of rain on, on, on our end, but um, it's been hazy as hell. Like I, th- There's been some times where you kind of needed to drive with your chin on the dashboard just simply because you can't see ahead of you. Um, it's been weird. Yeah, yeah. My, I don't think I've been this. I, I've went this long before without wearing sunglasses. So very, very interesting. Your chin on the dashboard is a hilarious visual, by the way. I just imagine like <laughs> like an ethnic looking big, big bird in a, in a Volkswagen Beetle. Right. That's exactly what I look like. But it's a it's a Jeep Compass instead. Um right. But yeah, I mean uh not 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 too much happening over here, honestly, with all the it's it's getting pretty cold. So staying here. And I think I'm my so so if I sound different on my audio, it's because I'm using my MacBook's mic, which is kind of like the same issue you went through. Cause uh right. I don't know what's been happening with mine, but um I don't know if it's the cold that kind of screwed with it or something, but it's been very, very odd lately. I mean, the cold screwed with it. It's a mic. Oh yeah, but but I keep my window open and maybe like I don't you're know. literally an electrical engineer. You can't figure that out. <laughs> I um that that was that it, was it like paper. A, was it like a stanza said? It's shrinkage. It's normal. Shrinkage. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That's how I explain most circuits or signal related stuff. I kind of took that information and, and just uh, shrunk in the wash. But yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. What's funny is that I was at a networking event the other day and uh, I met another um, electrical engineer who's like, okay, did you also just learn and then put your degree on a wall and forget everything about circuits? It's like, yeah, same, same. It's true of any degree though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes sense. You you, you kind of did the same. You're still in that area, but not no, directly I, related look, to I, I graduated studied. with a degree in economics. And then as soon as you start working, it's like, Hey, that was all theory. Screw it. Here's how things actually work. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there there should be like we should plan this episode next time. But there's a there's a clip from the founder of Whole Foods who's basically like, um, what what was he saying? Something along the lines of like, there's been this massive clash between academia and business, and like a lot of stuff you deal in, deal with in academia is like never translates to business appropriately. And this it's it's been a constant like intellectual war of butting heads. Um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. Not a lot of people are are, are doing what they studied. So I don't know if well, that's this is true in every field, it. by the way. You know, you, you start a job and it's like, hey, forget what you learned in school. Here's how it actually works. And by the way, I was shocked to find out that the same thing applies in medicine. So I have a friend who's a doctor, oh, and shit. she she yeah she she was like uh, yeah. So you know, you start in the ER and then they start teaching you about off-label uses and like what's that? And it's like oh, basically you can use drugs for things other than the, what they were designed for, and everybody knows it. <laughs> really <laughs> interesting it's like I, I didn't know my er doc was you know buying pills off alibaba before she bought them or <laughs> before she gave them to me yeah <laughs> right this here i got this with match. a free uh knockoff zippo lighter it'll make your blood <laughs> better or something here take it yeah yeah it's like if, if your doctor has like a tour browser just run <laughs> what are you doing yeah. oh just you know restocking the pharmacy <laughs> Yeah. With what may or may not be Skittles. I don't know. Yeah. 
just put in a in a in an orange pill bottle, just like yeah, yeah. Good times, good times talking about trust in doctors, especially during a pandemic. But no, we love them. We love them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna attract the wrong audience. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Next thing you know, we're gonna be uh, like hanging with a bunch of flags, but behind us, like screaming conspiracy theories and stuff. You know, honestly, that's that's probably the best thing we can do to uh, you know kind of explode their explode the listenership to for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, just controversial stuff. It, it's easy. Apparently, most... you, you just spew some Q crap and everyone tunes in. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> I'm an engineer. Take it from me. There's a data structure called a Q. That's yeah. a sign. You know, you know what? Let, let, let's try it for as purely as an analytics experiment. So uh, <laughs> anyhow, I was, uh, I was browsing um, a Q forum earlier today. And uh, what JFK Jr. told me actually was, uh, so do you know, do you know what, what the following guys have in common? Uh, again, JFK Jr. told me in Dealey Plaza in, in Dallas, Steve Jobs, Sergey Brin, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Pierre Omidyar, Alexis Ohanian, and Jerry Yang. Oh, that's a, that's a, what do they have in people. common aside, aside from the fact of course, that they are um, Illuminati lizards who control the media. <laughs> like me. Um, let's see. Uh, well, that's that's a that's a pretty diverse set of people. Yeah, besides the fact that they're they're founders, maybe I'm not yeah. I'm not sure. Well, well, to be clear, you're not an Illuminati lizard in control of anything. You're the lizard on the gas station bathroom wall. But what those guys have in common is that they're all either immigrants or children of immigrants. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. Like, there's a lot of. Um, you know, there's there's quite a bit of market cap value that's attributable to a company started by an immigrant or the child of an immigrant. Um, and at the same time, there's lots of data to support the idea that immigration into the U.S. is basically cratering. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that, that this actually comes at a very interesting time because um, just to add one more person to that list, there's uh, the new Twitter CEO. Um, right, because Jack Dorsey recently announced that he was stepping down, and the new the new Twitter CEO is also an immigrant. And uh, this this also comes at the same week as like the I forgot what, but they they um, the White House just like renewed a new immigration policy. That's I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just been controversial. Not not really going to get into that now. But yeah, this is a big week for the topic of immigration, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah, one more Indian American CEO uh, who was yeah. not born or raised in the states. Um, at the same time, that it becomes harder and harder for Indians to become an American or even to come work in the states. So, right. look, the, the data I think is clear. There's there's a lot of support to show a lot of supportive data to show that immigration is cratering. But let's set aside what that means for the demographics of the U.S., okay. which is what the politicians like to talk about most. Because you know what we're slowly inching towards doing in the U.S. is is and basically it's a handful of kids working hard to support like a hundred million different two hundred year old people, thanks to modern yeah. medicine, who continuously need more Medicaid, Medicare, so on and so forth. Again, right. not to sound ageist, but that's just the math. No, um, it is. Like every developed nation is slowly kind of sliding towards the Japanese scenario. Oh, interesting. Um, what, what is adult Japanese? diapers? More adult diapers oh. being sold than youth diapers, and the the population growth rate is is very very slow. Yeah, because um, they, they said Japan's like that that extreme case where their population is going to start declining, if not now is beginning yeah. to decline. 
Yeah. And by the way, I didn't make that up. There are more adult diapers being sold than, than children's diapers being sold in Japan. Like that's wow. how slow population growth is. And again, that's a country with like zero immigration. Yeah. Yeah. No, Everyone exactly. in Japan is Japanese, basically. Interesting. I, I wonder oh. what that means. So like, you know, immigrants come in all, all sorts of like trades, backgrounds, anything like that. So that I, I guess my question would be to tie it back into like this show, of course, like what does that mean for early stage founders and, and, and just founders in general? Well, I mean, let's look to Japan again, and this is not a perfect example, I admit, but Japan does not have this massive, vibrant tech startup scene. Have you noticed? Yeah, no, not at all. A, I don't think they have enough youthfulness in the culture for that to be a thing. And B, right. they don't exactly import the talent either, because like we said, immigration is just not a thing in Japan. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean for startups? Now, the average salary of a software engineer has gone way, way up as a result of increased demand from the pandemic tech boom and also the natural shortage that's occurring. So to give you an idea of how utterly dependent um, the, the tech ecosystem in the US is on, on foreign STEM talent, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. um, so at one point, Bill Gates was kind of arguing in favor for lifting uh, the H-1B cap in the U.S. So basically, there is a legal limit on the number of H-1B visas. These are the most commonly issued work visas um, oh, for foreigners in a STEM field in the U.S. Um, Gates wanted that cap gone, basically, so that Microsoft and others like Microsoft can bring in as many tech workers as they possibly can into the U.S. Yeah. Um, that never ultimately happened, even under more, say, permissive uh, administrations in the past. Uh -huh. Um, so the average salary of a software engineer, at least in the last two years has just absolutely exploded. Um, native born STEM majors in the U S I mean, they're only about, about 28% of native born degree earning individuals in the U S are in a STEM major. Uh, however, about 45.6% of STEM majors in the U S are foreign born. Now these are numbers wow. were true between 2016 and 2018. So it's a bit of. Fiscal year 2016, 2018. So, I mean, that was not just all Trump, but um, this was true even when uh, Obama's policies were still in place for 2016, 17. Yeah. So, so presidents aside, or, or like policies aside, mm -hmm. how did that kind of get affected with, you know, everything since March of 2020 with COVID? Right. So, March of 2020, obviously COVID hit, everything remotely tech related went through the roof, unless of course you were, you know, event or travel tech. Yeah. Um, and so with it, the demand for engineers also shot up. However, in March of 2020, the US government basically closed its doors to foreign talent and foreign immigration entering the United States indefinitely. So again, 45.6% of STEM majors in the United States are foreign born. And all of a sudden, you know, we've moved to a system where nobody, nobody gets in. Yeah. And even prior to COVID between fiscal years, 2016 and 18, the number of people obtaining lawful permanent resident status in that category declined 7.3%. Now, if any, if any vertical or any segment of the uh, labor market in the U S crunched by 7%, it would be all they would talk about on like financial news sites. Interesting. So, so th this isn't necessarily looking at tech workers specifically. It's just people in general from outside coming into the U.S. is just yeah. on the decline right now. And, okay. and no vertical is more susceptible to the downside than tech.
just because exactly. of the absolute reliance on foreign engineers. Because the fact is, the U.S. does not graduate as many engineers as the country needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even even just talking to founders and investors in the LA area specifically. Although I know this isn't a problem that's local to LA, but um, you know, a, a lot of founders around us, including ourselves, are looking to hire engineers. And the number one thing you hear is just like, it's impossible to do that right now. You you need to. Everyone's shifting their recruiting strategies from a, I'm going to throw a job posting out there and see who comes my way to a, I need to go talk to people in my personal network and see, and like sell them this role to see who would join. Because if it, if you're not doing something like that, then you're immediately going to need to look at um, nearshoring services, dev shops that already yeah. are set up in these different countries. Um, but yeah, looking for software engineers at any tech like as a tech company on any scale or, or stage, um, it sucks. It's been, it's been tough. And honestly, it's, it's probably like the only reason, uh, startups are failing now between like pre-seed and seed and a stage, their inability to recruit. Oh yeah. Nobody's yeah. failing because they can't raise money anymore. That's a thing of the past. Thank yeah. you, uncle J pal. But <laughs> it's burr. Yeah, burr, exactly. Oh. But, but the inability to recruit, at least in my experience, has killed at least one startup, or at least put it on its knees. Let's say, I'd, I'd say that as well. I think a lot. I've I've spoken to people who've raised uh, raisin, 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 new raisin. Um, they raisin. <laughs> I was gonna. I don't know if I'm thinking about raisins because I'm hungry, but um, anyways. So I've, I've spoken to a lot of founders who have raised like a considerable amount of money and they like they they're just introducing me to this new aspect or this new issue that startups can run into which is just a lack of engineering thrust i found so many founders in this position who have basically been like we have our roadmap we have everything we need to head in the right direction we're pretty sure we're headed in the right direction it's just we're not moving fast enough yep yes absolutely and by the way this is not only uh the purely software engineering type roles even marketing you know, digital marketing, right. super ultra competitive, 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 competitive. All right. Just when you made a mistake, mm -hmm. I was going to hold over your head. I make one. Okay. We're even now. <laughs> we're even. So yeah. here's the thing. There's the other side of this argument now, which for the first time in forever, the United States no longer has a monopoly on, you know, the option to have a tech career. That opportunity is available elsewhere now. I mean, we've all heard the narrative of COVID and work from home, you know, it's a thing now, but like there are other ecosystems that have, have risen up. Like we've talking, we've talking, oh my God, we're just forgetting English today. We've, oh, yeah. we've, we've spoken of what SF dying did for the other cities in the country, creating quote unquote, emerging American markets. So SF died and kind of, you know, breathed life into Los Angeles, Boston, New York, Miami, and so on. But the U.S. kind of, in a sense, you know, the market did die a little bit, and and in turn, it it decided to breathe life into other ecosystems, willingly or unwillingly. So the mm -hmm. rise of the Chinese ecosystem is super well documented, and there's a clear correlation between that and the decline of like Chinese STEM major immigration to the U.S. Uh, and also retention of Chinese students after they earn their degrees in the U.S. because the opportunity is back in China. That's definitely true of India as well. India used to yeah. export almost all of its tech talent internationally. Uh, the U.S. was a clear beneficiary of that, and that's just not not, not the case anymore. Because you have to actively, you know, make the case to an Indian engineer to make two hundred thousand dollars in San Francisco and live like a poor little pissant, uh, or he can stay in India and make he or she can stay in India, make forty fifty thousand dollars in a in a relatively super cheap city and live like a king or queen. 
Yeah. I think that's the, the, that's the biggest things as well. Looking at things from a founder that's based in the U S is like, first of all, like if, if I want to start looking for, for, for talent, not necessarily like immigrant talent to move over here, but like say software engineers in, in Turkey, um, a software engineer in Turkey would take any amount of us dollars as opposed to their currency, which is kind of not, not doing too well at the moment. Or There's that. Uh, what? Bitcoin. Or Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I'm sure there's a startup setup that does payroll in Bitcoin somewhere out there. Dude, the um, only ads I see anywhere in Turkey, I'm here right now, is is just ads for like crypto exchanges. Really? Wow. What's very weird is just the juxtaposition of walking past the structure that was built in the time of Emperor Justinian and literally attached to the side of the structure is this uh, you know, little shop where you can actually buy crypto in person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. I think like there, there are Bitcoin logos everywhere and next to I mean, like 10 feet from where there's a mosaic of Emperor Justinian. Yeah. And I think the, the, the funny kind of parallel to that in, in, well, LA isn't kind of new, it's kind of old, but like I've seen pictures of um, New York where it's like images taken at the same place, a hundred years apart. And it's like in, in the early 1900s, it was the same buildings, but now there's all these um these like Bitcoin ATMs, these bodegas that take different cryptocurrencies. It's, it's, it's weird how little has changed, but at the same time, how much things have changed. Right. Yeah. But, but, uh, but I, going back to our like an initial point, like I think that the main thing, what I was trying to say is like, not only can you pay someone in a currency, whether it's a cryptocurrency or a normal one, that's better than what they have, uh, like sticking to my example, the engineering software engineer in Turkey, but on top of it, you also have um, just the quantity of that because because forty thousand dollars a year doesn't sound like anything here. Like you can barely make a living. Um, it, it's like it's almost like a founder salary. But if you hand that over to a developer in like South America, for example, that's life changing amounts of money. Considering and and I just checked this on Indeed, but like senior software engineers there make like twenty eight to thirty thousand a year dollars. So. It, it, yeah. it's kind of interesting how far it can go once you start looking beyond the, the U.S. borders. Well, I mean, if you're making $40,000 a year in Los Angeles, then you have to give out handies on Craigslist to make ends meet. <laughs> right. That's a great way of putting I mean, it. That's just, it's the truth. Yeah. Um, let's see how long before I get canceled. But that's the truth. <laughs> so, I mean, look, given that that is the prospect of someone who has to earn that little in, yeah. a, in a city as expensive as Los Angeles. Not that this is true everywhere in the country. Uh, consider this. In the last six months of 2020, the fiscal year, April to September, the 2020 fiscal year, April to September of that year, um, okay. the US government only issued about 29,000 green cards. In the same period in 2016, wow. the US government issued approximately 309,000 green cards. Now, wow. this is attributed to the fact that the Trump administration made it much, much harder to actually get a green card processed. But has anyone really asked the question if they even want them, the recipients? That's true. I mean, I mean, I think I think anyone on the on the side of the U.S. government is kind of looking at it from the from the perspective of, you know, everyone wants to come here, so we'll just you know add that scarcity to it to make it a bit more difficult. But yeah, I mean, I think especially after COVID, that is a valid question that they need to start asking themselves because if you know the only thing I, tying this back to Twitter, like the only thing I see on my timeline is. Dubai is going insane right now with Web3. I'm seeing hubs being set up in um, in India, in China, in, in all these different countries. So it's like, 
those were the main sources of talent when we were trying to get them into the US. But yeah, I wonder, I wonder if there's like a, some sort of metric where it shows look, look, look at me, of supply. Right? All, all my work is in tech and I have not stepped foot in the United States since July of 2020. Right. Yeah. Even, even with my own visa, having been outstanding since like six months before that, right. Since like January of 2020, when I started oh, yeah. this process, I still don't have it. And yet I've been able to work with like a hundred different us counterparties on a hundred different projects and financings and whatever, like in the last two years. And I've done it purely on the same MacBook that I'm using to record this right now. Yeah. I think I'm in I think Turkey funny, right now. Right. I was in Dubai before here. I'm going to be in Paris after that. And I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking Thailand after that. It turns out all I really need is a Wi-Fi connection. So this idea yeah. that I have to, A, um, you know, up with all the downsides of having to move to a place like San Francisco and uh -huh. uh, B, have them, you know, take 40% of my income in order to do that, you know, in order to grant me the privilege of being in a place people are fleeing anyways. Like the yeah. US no longer has this argument of saying we are the shining city on the hill. We are the only place you can have a viable career in tech. Uh, come to me, right? Like the argument is dead. So for me, it's yeah. always a, it's a question is, you know, we're, is the US killing the goose that lays the golden eggs, right? Yeah. Did they kill their own ecosystem by restricting migration? I think the 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 easiest way to think of that is like as always the the way I like to think of it is looking at like historical parallels. So mm -hmm. we started this conversation talking about literally the 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 seven or eight most successful figures in business nowadays, and the one thing that they had in common with was that they were all immigrants. Looking even behind, like beyond that in history. Um, most major businesses, most services we use, everything has been started by immigrants. So I think the answer to that is kind of obvious. It's it's yes, I think like the 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 U.S. kind of like from that perspective shot itself in the foot in the sense where like in some states there's been a little bit of fighting against business friendly regulations and laws, and then on top of it, the things that fuel or start these businesses um, are just being cut off. You know, I, I feel like, you know, again, as much as I, I love the US, right? I mean, you know, I, I spent many, many years between Boston, between uh, uh, San Francisco and San Diego and Los Angeles, and I love mm -hmm. the States. But the more I look at it, the more it feels like it's showing the symptoms of, of that end of empire type of phase in history. Yeah. It's, it used to be where everyone ran to, and now it seems like a lot of people want to run from it. And the politicians are completely clueless that that is in fact the case. Yeah. And then, and then, the, the funny thing about bringing up the politicians is then, then you can bring in like specifically for, for Congress, like the federal government, the uh, what what a lot of the arguments that have been brought up about it is the, you know, you have to bring ageism back into it. It's like 60, 70 year olds. Like there, there was a, a, literally before we started recording this, there's an article that um, said Elon Musk said people over 70 shouldn't run for office. Um, it's all that like disconnect from the main source of fuel of the economy, which at the moment is tech. Um, and, and I think like the interesting part about that is like, you know, me being a founder in gov in the U S and kind of sharing that same love for the U S that, that, that you have. Um, there's also the added element to it of me being a founder in GovTech that's working with the government in order to, in order for them to create laws more effectively. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there is a, you know, a lot, a lot of the immigrant immigrant friends that I talk to do share that love for the for 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 the country, but there's there's always a feeling of, 
yeah, like there's there's other th- opportunities that are popping up elsewhere. People are eyeing them in a way that we have not seen before. And and it just yeah. if anything, I I don't really see it as a as an end, end of empire thing. If anything, it's more of a like there's an entire industry of services for government that's basically from my end as like CT or someone with a lot of um capabilities in terms of engineering to just play around with and seeing what sticks. And that's kind of like bringing the Silicon Valley mentality back into it. But, you know, I, I think the end of British Empire was definitively um, marked by the Suez Canal crisis. Right. Um, yeah. Where they were prepared to act militarily and the US under Eisenhower at the time um, were completely opposed to any kind of um, military interference in Sinai. Um, what they did was they threatened to dump British debt. And of course, if they did that, then interest rates would have soared and the bond prices would have collapsed. Right. And it it dissuaded the British from acting in a way that they had originally intended, even though, yes, they did interfere in some sense um, in the immediate term. Right. Um, But that being the case, that's when everyone looked um, at the UK as what the empire that once was. Uh, yeah. Their foreign policy was suddenly being dictated by their neighbor across the pond and not by their own interests. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that moment will be for the US. And it will come again, not because this is the Bash America podcast. If anything, we're the Bash China podcast, but <laughs> it's just the cyclical nature of empires. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they come and go. I think as an avid lurker on uh, the history memes subreddit, I think everyone's still salty <laughs> about the Roman Empire eating shit. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm in the city that uh, was built uh, in the aftermath of the Roman Empire, eating shit. Yeah. And honestly, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. But <laughs> food's but, great. But, I mean, there's a lot of cats. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you 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 uh, recently read um, Capitalism in America, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. So so I've been mentioning this a couple of times here and there in, in in previous episodes, but there's a very long read that I try to like squeeze into my free time called Capitalism in America, written by. Alan Greenspan, former chairman of the Fed, I think. Um, was, was he chairman of the Fed? Um, uh, Grandpa J. Powell. Yes, yes, exactly. He wasn't a chairman of the Fed. He was the chairman of the Fed, but yeah. The chairman of the Fed, yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, and then, um, there, so written by him and another person by the name of Adrian Wooldridge. Um, and what, what what it basically talks about is is pretty self-explanatory from the title where, where it's, the history of capitalism in America and how that system grew when it was just a collection of states and colonies all the way to basically what it is now. And I think the book was written in 2019. So it takes you from before 1776 all the way up to now. And they highlighted two specific times of um, as the U.S. was moving east and, and giving a lot of people land, giving a lot of people opportunities and methods of transportation, methods of communication. Um the, that era of time, of time, and then the 1940s and the 70s, where it was that that boom that we saw after World War II was fueled by immigrants, of course, among many other things. But the major factor of it were people seeing the U.S. as this golden city on the hill and getting into it. So the point that I'm trying to make here is basically that the U.S. to the U.S. immigrants have been an excellent source and almost a role model of entrepreneurship, growth, and just like the work ethic that comes with it. Um, to add a couple of, of, of um, examples, the ones that you you mentioned at the beginning of your points, 
um, I mean, before you get into that, before you get into yeah. that, do you not agree that, you know, immigrants who, who moved to a country voluntarily, not because they were like refugees of war or stuck in some terrible circumstance, immigrants who find a new home voluntarily do it in a way like when, when they get there, they just look around with a sense of like wide eyed wonder, right? Just like yeah. thinking of all the, all the opportunity that is here and just reminiscing on why exactly did I leave home? What brought me here and what can I do here that I can't do anywhere else? And right. that that sense of wonder to an immigrant is just what breeds the extreme patriotism and loyalty mm-hmm. to the country. Um the US's history is is absolutely, you know, replete with those kinds of examples. And no place exactly. really showcased that better than Silicon Valley. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think it's it's not only like Silicon Valley has been the most recent example, of course, but um, like I, I watch a YouTube series called Memoirs of World War II. And there's this one, um, I, for, I forgot what the name of the person was, but he was an Italian immigrant who fought for the US during World War II. And what he basically said was that the night him and his family got to the US, um, it was a little hazy. He got to like, I think Ellis Island in New York. And the next day, him and his family went up to the roof of the place they were staring, staying at, and they saw the Statue of Liberty. And their dad was like, this is your new land. This is your new home. There's a ton of opportunities. Don't take this place for granted. And I think that's that's just the mentality that everyone had. It was, it was a, you know, I come from a place where if my grandfather was a farmer, my dad was a farmer, I'm going to be a farmer, my son's going to be a farmer. And now all of a sudden, it's going to, I'm, I'm in a land where I've seen someone who was a farmer whose um, son worked on canals, whose son worked on railways, and just things have been constantly progressing at a pace that they haven't seen before. Um, and the, the stories of that add to the wonder of modern immigrants coming into the US. Yes. By yeah. the way, speaking of, of you know the absolutely undeniable success of immigrants and what that does for any kind of capitalist startup system, have you noticed the sheer number of successful startups coming out of Silicon Valley or other parts of the U.S. that have been run by Indian Americans? Oh, yeah. So I actually, um, one of my previous reads was Hit Refresh by um, Satya Nadella. So that's mm-hmm. that's the main one. And I think, uh, let's see if I can think some of the, uh, the top of my head. I think there's um, Sundar Pichai from, is it Pichai? I'm sorry if I'm botching these pronunciations, by the way. Um yeah, but aside yeah, I from think, people who have climbed the corporate ranks, not that I'm not that I'm like kind of denigrating their uh, clear accomplishments, like who the hell am I? But but uh-huh. I'm talking about the the startup founders. Like oh, I've met so many extremely talented Indian American startup founders, and I think, I mean, look, neither you or I are Indian, but I think mm-hmm. the one thing that's common between Indian culture and Middle Eastern or Arab culture is uh, the idea that your parents demand that you become a doctor or a lawyer or in modern lingo, a startup founder or a VC, yeah, <laughs> or at least yeah, in our family. Exactly. But yeah, um, that's definitely a part of the culture and definitely what kind of gets imported to the States along with the immigrants' lives, really. I mean, what, that's what they contribute to the American mosaic and that definitely has left its mark on Silicon Valley. Right. No, exactly. And I mean, the, the, you know, I'm sure there's like an army of immigrants, like Indian American, Arab American, and and just immigrant founders from all walks yeah. of life. But they and always yet, end up. And, sorry, and 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 yet it is precisely Indian Americans who are most adversely affected um, by some of these laws. Yeah. So exactly. So for the H one Bs, 
Okay. For example, um, if more than 7% of applicants come from any one country, they automatically jump onto this wait list that kind of extends their wait time. Uh, the most affected countries are India and China and whoever gets, you know, first place for that year is sort of interchangeable depending on the year, but it just gets harder and harder. The more people try to come in from your particular country. Um, so Indian Americans, the wait list for them has gotten not, sorry, not Indian Americans, but Indian applicants trying to enter the U S um, on a work visa that will eventually make them Americans. Their wait list gets longer and longer and longer. And that time represents a very serious opportunity cost. And it turns out they don't have to wait for the US anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if, you know, putting, putting myself into the shoes of, of, of an Indian, a prospective Indian immigrant trying to get into the US, I can totally see myself spending months, if not years on some random wait list and going, well, hey, there's this little side project that I'm working on that I can totally kickstart from my home. Yeah. So why not do that? And the you know, next there, thing there you know, uh, yeah, but, 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 you know, there was an added kind of, uh, cruelty to it, thanks to the previous administration. Um, mm-hmm. so one thing they did to dissuade, um, Indians from applying for STEM visas to the U S or H1B visas to the U S was there used to be a rule that allowed your spouse to work, um, in the U S and come with you if you had been granted an H1B. I can't remember the exact category of that visa, but basically if you're Indian and you get an H-1B, you come to the States to work a U.S. tech job, um, your wife comes with you um, and she can work whatever job on this uh, visa that basically came stapled to your H-1B. Um, oh. not, not literally, obviously, but right. um, um, the previous administration actually got rid of that plus one visa. So basically if you brought your spouse with you, they were forced to stay at home and do nothing. So you can imagine that dissuaded a whole other wave of immigrants from entering. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I mean, I think it, 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 there's a lot of like small aspects of it, of, of, of discouragement, I feel like Mm -hmm. is the right word for this of just, yeah. Like once you see that, and then once you see, you know, a, it is cruelty based in no economic benefit to the United States. It's not one of those sad, but necessary things. It was just, you know, Again, I don't want to say the T word because it's going to start a whole other, disc- a whole other discussion, mm-hmm. but the previous administration just wanted to fuck people over. And this was their preferred way of doing it, among other ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think the the, the U.S. in terms of the monopoly that they held over tech opportunities is, is paying for that right now. Yeah. I mean... I mean, imagine, imagine if, if, you know, how many Apoorva Mehta's, you know, founder of Instacart, how many... Mm-hmm were kicked out by this rule. Like when we look at it in retrospect in 20 years, you know, yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, how many Jahangir Muhammad's, how yeah. many, you know, the, so many, yeah. so many examples. How I think, many, I think the, yeah. the, the sad part stuff, they're going to be like, imagine the, the, the trillions of dollars and the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs um, that these guys would have started in the U S that are now just somewhere else. You know, I it's think- just I, I can't understand I can't understand what policymakers are thinking when they make these rules. No. How does the United I think States benefit? It's 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 simply the misinformation of a wrong image being painted. You know, uh again, definitely trying to refrain from using the T word here, but you know, just a very simple description of what immigrants look like 
uh, or what what type of immigrants are coming across the border. Um, the, the, How can the you be so racist that you wanted to make yourself poorer in order to continue being racist? I mean, that's the thing. Like, like it's it's there. There have been so many instances that have popped up in the past where, like, trillions of dollars of wealth, exactly like what I, what what I've been talking about. All of those opportunities have been created at the hands of of an immigrant with a chip on their shoulder, right? So what I don't understand is if you're in the government and you have a fraction of knowledge about the country's history, why not? Like I, I just can't see why they, people can't put two and two together. It's, 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 it's been kind of like really interesting. Because I mean, let's let's look at uh, not expecting anyone to know this, of course, but let's look at recent history, a, a little bit of, of 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 older history. So, a man by the name of Amadeo Giannini, right, um, Italian immigrant. He wanted to bring banking to the um, to the common man because banking at the time was something for either people with a lot of power, people with businesses or something like that. So he started the Bank of Italy in the US and that turned out, turned out to be an awesome experience because um, that Bank of Italy turned into the Bank of America and it's where it is right now. And um, one of the people you mentioned, Pierre Omidyar, another immigrant created basically an electronic bazaar where everyone can exchange or engage in free exchange, that turned into eBay. Um, to list off a couple, I mean, Pfizer, Google, Tesla, SpaceX, Yahoo, Kraft, all of those were start, were started thanks to immigrants who were bitten by the startup bug. So, you know, when, when I look at stuff like that, my mind tends to go towards the, what we basically started this discussion with, which is finding the common ground between all of them. But there was a question that was kind of on my mind that took me the other way, which was, what makes immigrants such great founders? Um, we've touched on a couple of aspects of it, but it differs on a case-by-case basis, of course, but I still feel like something about that shared identity just makes facing obstacles much more manageable. Um, so I kind of like opened up uh, my, my, my notes app, if you will, and I kind of put together like th- two or three kind of common grounds of, of why immigrants just are better posed to run companies or better posed to not saying that they're, they're like superior to anyone else trying to start a company, but why the ones who, the ones that we've seen in terms of like being successful or building successful startups are um, trying to find the right words for this, but they're, they're, they're more likely to become um, CEOs of big companies or founders of big companies. I think the, the the first issue that pops up in head or the first factor is definitely the ability to see issues differently. Um, if there's one thing that's needed in tech, um, it's other perspectives, right? And immigrants definitely bring these other perspectives from other countries that are, and they're, they don't really have um, principles or, or, or fixed processes because they just think of things differently. So, Tying it to a little bit of a, of a personal note, like if you're starting a civic tech or a gov tech startup in the US, it would be very helpful if you've lived in a country with a strict or generally problematic government. That way you're able to see how you can prevent things heading that way and not like not really lab- putting a label just purely for the sake of example, but that different perspective doesn't really help you fix the problem, but it allows you to push the needle in the right direction. And 
The second factor I think that we already touched on, but it's love for the country. Honestly, I think I have not met an immigrant yet who is like talking about nothing but the U.S.'s problems. They do acknowledge that the U.S. definitely has problems, but they just think this is still a, a wonderful, magical land of opportunity. So to clarify that and to kind of draw the line between the immigrants' love for a country and maybe someone who's from here and their love for the country, it's not a specific love for a party or a specific figure, um, as we've seen a lot in, in the media or in the news, but it's basically the mentality of capitalist America, like breeding innovation and disrupting countless industries. Um, there was this one like July 4th tweet that I saw from a really long time ago. Um, can't find it. Like I, I don't remember who tweeted it, but it was basically, um, it, it went something like, I wish Americans today can look at their country the way an immigrant does. An immigrant does. And the funny thing about that is like even scrolling further down my timeline, I noticed that that doesn't only apply to founders or people in business. So I think you and I both watch the Boston Celtics and um, I don't know if it's number 13 or number 11, but Ennis Cantor um, recently got his citizenship and he changed his name to Ennis Freedom because he's like, freedom is the thing that I looked for my entire life. And I saw it when I came here. So when he became a citizen, he wanted that to become a part of his name. Um, personally, I I really want to get a jersey that just says freedom, and I think that's dope that it's a Boston Celtics one. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Enes Kanter is, is he's kind of more Swiss than he is Turkish, but I don't know. Anyways, yeah. we're not going to get into that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the thing is, you know, that argument holds even if it's like absolutely purely utilitarian. Because think of it: if you love the country only for the money you're making off it, you still love the country, right? Right. Exactly. I just think, and and the whole freedom thing, you know, everybody thinks that's the uh, freedom to eat, uh, you know, 14 cheeseburgers and give yourself a coronary by age 40. And you absolutely have the freedom to do that. Or if you want to argue the anti-mask crap, then I suppose that falls under your First Amendment rights also. But I think the freedom that many Americans take for granted is uh, economic freedom. Um, right. The ability to, pr to pursue really any job you want and knowing that the market is probably big enough to accommodate you. That is something... I cannot think of something that is more taken for granted among the American understanding of freedom. Yes, yeah, and, and exactly. Other other ecosystems have begun um, to see the benefits of this sort of economic freedom once they started embracing it. I mean, the best example of that is China, right? I mean, think of the right. absolute lack of economic freedom up until like you know Deng Xiaoping and uh, the reforms that came in in the late '80s with like economic free zones and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, economic freedom tends to generate what is the best equilibrium result for all in terms of most value generated per individual participating in a marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that famous supermarket in Texas oh, where yeah. there yeah. was an unannounced visit by Mikhail Gorbachev back when he was still the, um, uh, you know, the top dog of the, the, the Russian Communist Party and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, the head of state. Right. Um, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of when I walked into an American supermarket and saw the absolute, like the abundance and the excess and the availability of every food product imaginable. Um, that's, that's when my belief in the communist system absolutely died, was shattered. And all of this was accomplished, not because of the state taking massive control and assigning people their jobs and assigning people their um, duties and, you know, creating plans for the education from the moment they're born to the moment they enter the workforce, but rather just taking a, 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 a hands-off approach and allowing things to fall in place naturally in a marketplace, acknowledging the fact that yes, that generates um, some friction and hardship along the way, 
mm-hmm. but the end result is the best equilibrium result for all. It's yeah. it's the one that generates the most individual utility for every participant engaging in that marketplace with minimal government interference. And as much as people love to bitch about um, regulatory burdens in places like the US or some parts of Western Europe, it is still infinitely more permissive in in like developing world countries. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I I saw this like dumb meme, but it kind of it, it kind of it, it it made me laugh a little bit. But it was like, um, what was it? It's like it, there's one thing to be communist in a free country, but try but but try being free in a communist country. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so or even it, even try being free in a country with a high degree of state planning, and that's not my jab at like the Middle East particularly, but even Norway. Like imagine. Do you know what it takes to be like a free market entrepreneur in a country that a very up until very recently had a very high degree of government involvement in virtually every industry? Oh, I bet it would have been close to impossible, if not impossible. It was horrific. I mean, yeah. you know, talented Norwegians just like hopped over uh, the Bering Sea to the UK this is what happened for generations. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it, 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 it all that. Like everything we just talked about basically falls under the idea of the land of opportunity, like where there's there's an opportunity for economic freedom where you can basically go, I it's can cheesy, actually, but it's do. true. No, yeah, really. I mean, it's 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 kind of been buried and suppressed by generations because of it sounding kind of cheesy, but you can literally do what you love. Like, like I mean, I'm I'm sure in some parts of the world I can become a startup founder and lead the engineering and do crazy shit, but I might need to still have a job or I might need to still do something on the side because I'm just not going to make enough. I'm not going to make a living out of it as big as I try to make it. Um, you, you see this with, with, you know, primarily in the U S simply because of their industries, but actors, um, singers, musicians, artists, and this is all people doing stuff that they love and they're able to make so much money off of it um, to where not only do they have a living, but they now, whether it's a good or a bad thing, have a platform that they can use to help others to, to, you know, identify issues, do stuff like that. And you can't like, you're, you're starting to see that in a couple of places, but the U S is definitely the one that kind of started it. If that makes any sense. So that makes um, it all the more troubling that it seems like politicians have decided it's time to kill the golden goose, right? This restriction, yeah. restriction of immigration, like, okay, I want, I want to, I want to try to go through this thought process from their perspective. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do they see as potential benefit? A, the demographics, like the U S has the same demographic bomb as any developing country, right? Like, you know, the, the number of people who are alive is just beginning to skew too heavily towards much older, less economically productive people, meaning that they become essentially wards of the state and extremely expensive um, just as a subject in terms of long-term government planning, right? Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, blah, blah, blah. We keep hearing year after year that these systems are going bankrupt uh, and nothing changes, right? Um, yeah. There are companies that have outright said, like Germany, that like, you know, we have a serious um, demographic issue and the one way we're going to offset that is by increasing immigration. Canada has decided to do th- the same thing. Australia has decided to do the same thing. Right. Um, in countries that are already somewhat like, you know, racial, ethnic kind of mosaics. Anyway, it's easier to just kind of double down on that, on that, uh, um, that, uh, that trajectory. But for countries that have no prior involvement in that sort of a, uh, you know, long-term planning mentality with respect to demographics, it's harder to push over the finish line in any kind of government committee. But back to the point, yeah. I'm trying to look at it from their perspective what do they what do they believe that they stand to gain from restricting immigration 
it's not a net benefit to you know the country's GDP and economic productivity, right? It is not a net benefit to the budget in terms of you know tax revenue and and covering the costs we just mentioned. It's not a net benefit net benefit in terms of um, anything. What what do they see? Yeah. I don't. I mean, I mean, here's the thing: like they they from from a from a policymaker's perspective, they represent a, some sort of district or jurisdiction, and um, the way they see it is they have thousands of immigrants come in. God forbid, because of human nature, one of them is one of them does you know, shoplifts. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, these immigrants need to leave. And it's, it's basically like very small instances of time of just dealing with risk in general ends up yeah, turning into have... this massive story. Cause I think it's, it's the, the same things going on with, with, um, you know, COVID accepting the risk of COVID versus accepting the risk of the vaccine where like, again, the, the, the choice is yours. It's the free country. doesn't really matter, but you know what I've seen as 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 reasonings for why people haven't taken vaccines is like someone says that 0.002% of people died because they took it, so I'm not going to take it. As opposed to the, you know, Lord knows how many people that died from COVID, and it's just, you know, if we accept a thousand immigrants and then one does something bad, then all of them are bad, and it's it's just the the inability to deal with any sort of uncertainty or risk, even if it benefits such it benefits a ton for society in general. I think that's, yeah. that's the kind of the biggest issue that people need to. What's funny is what's, what's funny is even if their numbers were correct, it's a shitty argument, but their numbers are wrong because what we know from the FBI is that illegal immigrants commit uh, crimes at a lower rate than natural born Americans. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if anything, uh, it would reduce crime overall in the country. So exactly. again, their numbers are crap. But you know, this is this is an argument coming from the heart, their heart, not mine, but not uh-huh. their, not from their head, um, and therefore facts sometimes don't matter. So I feel like these these are battles that need to be won with appeals to emotion as opposed to appeals to reason. I think um, I think so too, and but but I think like the, the the funny thing is like we've seen stories like this. I mean, for crying out loud, the the Pfizer vaccine was created by what was it Turkish immigrants in Germany, um, right? Yeah. And and we've seen so many examples of businesses here being set up by immigrants fleeing by, and 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 if it's you know, a bit of the the you know an immigrant doesn't need to be someone who's poor like it could be someone who's rich and they can bring their money with them, that can be beneficial for that local economy or something like that. I mean, it's it's I I don't see, you know, the the people who seem to have an issue with it, are the people who. Are just not willing to accept any sort of risk in their life. I think I think that's that's the what it, what it kind of boils down to. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I don't um, see. I, I think this is we're just making the case for a benevolent dictator to tell idiots shut up and do whatever they want. But that's not democratic. <laughs> that's not very democratic, is it? Um, no, no, not really. <laughs> I look. I. Uh, Sometimes when I debate this, I just kind of like lose faith in humanity and want to withdraw to a cave somewhere. But at the same time, I think like, you know, there's a lot of good people out there trying to do the right thing. And thankfully the bad people aren't that loud, at least not loud enough to stop this process in multiple countries. And if anything, you know, if we're going to appeal not to people's hearts, but to, you know, their budgets, at least in the government where people are actually making these decisions that are going to affect the country. Right. We can just make the case that like, listen, your, your constituents are aging. And they didn't have as many kids as the generation before them. And therefore, 
you know, basic arithmetic says that they won't generate as much tax revenue per retiree. So you have a serious issue on your hands. And if you want to change that, start issuing more visas to India and to China and to the Middle East and to Africa and to wherever. Exactly. I mean, I mean, that's a thing. Like, I think, I think the, the funny thing is like, you know, that going back to like immigrants being, having a drive of some sort. So to basically give some context, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I was kind of born here, but I'm a quasi immigrant in the sense that I didn't really live here. I was kind of a mm-hmm. tourist and then I was a student and I only recently came back as, as you know, someone I'm the a opposite. Job. Yeah. I was born in London and then grew up as a kid in Boston, but yeah. In Boston. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, like going, going back to what we were talking about, about the, 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 the main drivers specifically, um, take a look at abstract. So abstract is a company that I co-founded with three of my, with my two other co-founders. Um, my, like our CEO's parents came from Argentina. They worked their way through society. Our CPO's parents came from Taiwan and grew their businesses I just moved here half a year ago and all of us have had this sort of discussion of why did we leave the places we come from, we came from and why did we want to make some like build something great here we could totally have been useful members of society if we picked up a job at some tech company but we didn't want to do that because we saw that the underlying framework of the US is not being really helpful right now so we basically we 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 basically just decided to give it our all and that's literally what and and i like if you put us in three different rooms and ask us the same thing it all falls back to the same thing we're all like we love this country to the point where we're willing to wake up and work crazy hours um to just make sure that we can push the needle in the right direction so that someone in our position who might not be as fortunate or privileged can not just be shackled and can actually become creative and come to the quote-unquote land of opportunity you know, I think I think the the thing that's been the most gut wrenching, at least, is um, you know the videos on Twitter you come across of any sort of mm-hmm. conflict that's happening in the world, and you see like twelve year old girls and boys going like, "I just want to be a doctor. I just want to be an engineer." And they're standing behind the rubble that was once their home, and they're like, "I, I don't know what to do now. Like, what, what am I supposed to do?" Right. And eleven to and, twelve year olds in places like the U.S. absolutely take that for granted. Yes, exactly. The fact that, and, and that, that's a when, viable career path. Yeah, exactly. And w- whenever I get to talk to someone like founders, friends, anyone who who happens to be from here and born and raised here, like I, I you know, I, I don't turn into just like this, this angry person, but I, I remind them of that. I remember them like, you're, you're in a good place. Just, just be, be grateful for that. Yeah, you're on the inside on a place is, uh, on, in a place that a lot of people want to get to, even now, even with everything we've said, there's, it's still a place a lot of people want to get to. Exactly. Um, you know, the, 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 the practical utilitarian side of me just thinks like, you know what, maybe this is just uh, it's time for people to turn the page and we're moving to remote first and we're moving to new ecosystems and the U S is going to pay the price of that. And they helped accelerate it knowingly or unknowingly. And, and mm-hmm. this is just what happens. And the other part of me is like, wait, no, no, no. like deep down, I still believe in shining city on the Hill. This is, this is Silicon Valley. This is where people from around the world converge and it's a meritocracy and it's based on your ideas and nobody cares where you're from or what you do or whatever. It's right. just, it, it, it's, you know, the, the one thing that dawns on you when you come from a place like the Middle East, and I suspect India to a certain degree is when you introduce yourself at a function in the, in, in the Middle East, I'll say, uh, it's always, what's your name and, and whose kid are you? Whose son are you? Oh yeah. You know, they exactly. want to, they want to judge you by your like family affiliation. Um, in the U S nobody has ever asked me that question. Like, yes, it's a different difference of culture, but it's a difference of kind of, you know, a belief in what 
and what your value is as a person. So in the US, it's it's you know, what's your name and what do you do for a living? Yeah. You know, exactly. The, the older generations never ask what I do for a living in the Middle East. <laughs> never, exactly. never. It's whose kid are you? That's the question. Which is, yeah. you know, not that I have a problem with whose kid I am, but it's like, why the fuck do you care? Like, what if I told yeah. you my parents are murderers? You know what I mean? Like, is that it's not genetic, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's look, I'm not I'm not a sucker for these kinds of um um for these kinds of quotes or speeches, because I think a lot of it is just like, you know, political BS. Yeah. But I, I, there's a quote that really stuck with me a long time ago. And mm -hmm. it came up after a lengthy discussion uh, with a friend in, in Southern California about why the US is just happy to welcome people from everywhere. And, uh, you know, the, the American who's been here for five, six generations is as American as, you know, the guy who moved here 10 years ago and, and recently naturalized and voted in his first election and that kind of a thing. Um, right. And and my friend was quoting someone else on this. I don't know who it was, but it's uh, Americans are born all around the world. Some of them just haven't come home yet. Oh, I love that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right. It's it's definitely it's it's definitely a mindset. It, it's kind of like 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 Silicon Valley. It's it's a it's no longer a place now. Like you you you, it's a mentality, and and you have to come back to where it all started. Yeah, yeah. I just. You know, talent is is fairly equally distributed around the world. Like, there's no region or race or or, or whatever that generates talent that others can't. Yeah, there's talent everywhere. Unfortunately, opportunity is absolutely not as fairly distributed around the world as talent. Right, which means exactly. immigration is just something that needs to happen for those talented people to generate the most value for as many people as they can around the world. Yeah. And, and it's, just it yeah. kills me to see the US stamping that out and exactly. not killing it, but driving it to, to other places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I see that. And it's like, I guess my message as, as a quasi immigrant to people on the inside who were born here and raised here their entire lives, who, who think that refusing immigrants to come in and leave their place of either conflict or war, um, is is just this one quote that I tweeted in July fourth, which was by, again I'm gonna I'm gonna botch the name, but by Adlai Stevenson, I think. Yep. Um, the one thing that they said was patriotism is not short, friend, frenzied outbursts of emotion, but the tranquil and steady dedication of a lifetime. And and I think agreed. That immigrants are awesome to give that. You can give that because you're not just gonna cry when you see the flag i mean that's not really you're not benefiting your country when you do that it's just yeah yeah it's a it's a, it's a problem that i hope i can have the resources and platform to push the needle in the right direction look i'll i'll um i'll end with this um i i agree with you that patriotism is not you know crying and screaming when you see the flag but i i think back to that um video clip of uh the Asian American city council member um, oh, yeah. who was yeah. who was being criticized for his quote unquote lack of patriotism. And so he right. takes his jacket off and lifts up his shirt and he shows um the marks where he was tortured when he was a POW uh back when he was a member of the military. And he okay. said, Is this not patriot enough? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, nations may be ideas, but sometimes people with similar ideas tend to cluster in one place. And for yeah. some reason, we're shooing people out the door. Which Any is help? just a shame. Yeah.
All right. Was, that was, uh, I, I don't know whether it was a, was this a podcast or were we venting? I'm, I'm not sure what we did, but I'm going to release it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should, we should put this out. I think this was, this was honestly one of my favorites because it's genuine frustration from, I think, you know, you and I have definitely are cut from the same cloth in the sense that, you know, we, we're in love with the, the whole startup and venture capital scene and we know how big of a role the U S plays in it. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I am going right. to fall asleep with the view of the Hagia Sophia outside my window. That sounds beautiful. I'm going to go to little Tokyo to shop for teapots. Okay. I'm, we're going to, we're going to finish that, that discussion off the air. All right. Peace. <laughs> okay. <laughs>